Most of the time, statisticians go about their work without much fanfare. They crunch numbers and interpret data in the hopes that the information will help people better understand their world. The work of statisticians can be helpful to policymakers and even influence their approach to problem solving, that is, when they know what the statistical research on a topic says. The intersection of policy and statistics is a focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, and the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, chair of Miami Statistics Department. Richard Campbell is away today. Our guest is Steve Pearson. Pearson is the Director of Science Policy for the American Statistical Association, a position he's held for the last 12 years. In that role, Pearson has worked to raise the profile of statistics as a discipline, as well as government statistics and statisticians nationally. As director, he's also advocated for the creation and maintenance of a robust data infrastructure. Steve, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure, Rosemary. So you got your PhD in physics, yes? And you were a physics professor. So how does a physics professor go go from being in the classroom to becoming a professional statistics advocate? Uh, That is a good (laughs) question. I've long had uh, kind of an interest in in what what I would do with my my physics degree. I liked the research, but... But I also was aware of what other physicists were doing as an undergrad and, and think about Andrei Sakharov of, of the Soviet Union. And so just kind of that broader vision of the world always mm-hmm. appealed to me. And, and, and that remained an interest uh, while I was doing my PhD. Um, and then, and, and that kind of just kind of grew more intense. And then as I did my postdoc at the Naval Research Lab in Washington, DC, where I got to kind of see more closely uh, by interacting with scientists who are working with Congress or doing policy-related work. Um, and so uh, I, I, I was a professor at Worcester Polytechnic Institute and, and kind of maintained this interest in the intersection of science and society. And when it came time to do a sabbatical, I had the good fortune to come and work for the physicists mm-hmm. here in Washington, where I was a lobbyist. And I mostly lobbied for more research money uh, through the National Science Foundation and the Department of Energy of Science, um, and then after six years there, I saw that the American Statistical Association was advertising. And fortunately, they, they, they hired me under the current executive director, Ron Wasserstein. And so uh, that's maybe a nutshell. <laughs> maybe I was. <laughs> so, so why did the ASA form a, a science policy position, the one that, the one that you have, you've occupied now for these 12 years? So my understanding is that they, you know, they just saw that statisticians had an important voice to provide to policymakers for what statistics and provides and what statisticians bring to the table. So I think there was there was a lot of talk about it, and then uh, in 2007 the board approved it, and and I was hired in 2008. So what was the first project you worked on in this in this new position? Oh my goodness! Uh, so, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll share a few, a, a couple things. One, I remember there was a movement around that time to get more scientists to be elected to mm. public office. And so there was a workshop and I was trying to recruit for that. And while doing that, I learned about a number of statisticians who served uh, in a city council or on a county board. 
and, and that was just really terrific to, to learn about statisticians that were engaged. Um, so, so that's, that's one project. It really helped me connect. Uh, another project um, was the 2009 Joint Statistical Meetings were in Washington, D.C. So I organized uh, with, with our Scientific and Public Affairs Committee uh, two days of Hill visits mm -hmm. for statisticians that are interested. And I think we had some... 50 or 60 people doing outreach to the Hill. And one of the topics was just encouraging uh, more statistics mm -hmm. education. Uh, so so there's, there's a couple projects that stand out for me. How is this work met by policymakers when you're taking statisticians to the Hill, right, uh, or, or trying to get them otherwise engaged with the work of statisticians? Uh, how receptive are our lawmakers, our policymakers, to this sort of outreach or this sort of um, advocacy, uh, Rosemary. <laughs> excellent question. They, because they, it because it kind of it's it's challenging, right? Because there is a professional association for virtually any scientific um, discipline that you can think of, and and they're doing mm -hmm. similar things. And you know, the, the so they'll they take the meetings, they're engaged, but they're so busy that they don't often kind of mm -hmm. reach back. And, and take you up on that offer. It does happen, and, it, and it's terrific when it does. Um, and there's more and more, I think, scientists on the Hill that might come in through, like, the AAAS fellowship program. Um, so, so, the, so, but I also feel like being with the American Statistical Association, I, you know, we, ASA is the oldest scientific association in the U.S., and I feel like, you know, there is, that that, that is really helpful. So, so, so yes, there's a receptivity, but you know, as you can imagine, staffers are just besieged by all kinds of meeting requests. And you know, in the House side, in a personal office, one staffer could be handling six or seven major issues. Yeah. Right? It could be veterans, it could be labor, it could be health, or, or any number of really weighty topics. So there's not a lot of time for them to reach out to 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 scientists, you know, of of any mm -hmm. discipline. Have, have you found any of the, the staffers reaching out to you? As I mean, I would think that would be one of the ways that you might see some of the impact of, of your work, is that they're, they're starting to say, oh, I've got this question about this statistical issue. I, I'll, I'll think of the ASA and I'll think of Steve. It, it, it doesn't happen as often as I'd like, although, you know, that's part of the um, of my work is just is reaching out more and connecting our, our, our members. So uh, just, you know, over the last year, we've had interactions with the House Science, Space, and uh, Technology Committee. Um, and then on the, on the Senate side, it's the Commerce and Science Committee, Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee. And they, um, they're working on a forensic science bill, a bill to address, you know, just make, um, to address the various gaps in the science underlying the various disciplines of forensic science. And so... ASA President Karen Kafedar, I, I, actually she's done a Stats and Stories with you all. She was asked to testify uh, last fall, and then there's been some follow-up discussions on that. So, so they do reach out for that, for the statistical perspective. Um, there's also a case where the outreach actually was first to a statistician uh, and, then to, and then to the ASA, which, which I think is, is terrific to have those kinds of direct engagements. And the, the case was... Uh, the office of um, Senator Wyden, who's working on just a, an election integrity mm -hmm. bill to make voting more reliable and to improve 
the counting of the votes. And, and they had already been in touch with the University of California Berkeley statistician Philip Stark to learn more about his methods of risk limiting audits, which, which the ASA has endorsed, maybe while you're on the board, John. Uh, and then they reached out to the ASA looking for ASA's endorsement. So it's really encouraging to when, a, when an office would like ASA's endorsement of a bill. You, you mentioned sort of uh, the challenges of reaching out to lawmakers or, or getting people and their staffs sort of connected with, with um, the work of statisticians. Are there other obstacles or challenges that you've faced in this work, in, uh, particularly when it comes to sort of raising the profile of statistics? Uh, I, I just think, Rosemary, of the intense competition mm. for their time. You know, they, they, over the past year and a half, we've been trying to get some attention to the issues being faced by the National Center for Education mm -hmm. Statistics. And they are very understaffed. Uh, to put some numbers on that, um, they have, as of February, they have 88 staff for a $264 million budget. So that is an average of $3 million per person. And that is 10 times more than the other federal statistical agencies, which means they are contracting out. And obviously, we rely on contractors heavily, but, but that's kind of an over-reliance where we think you know, they'd be much more efficient to have more in-house capacity and, and expertise. Um, they're also down 20% in purchasing power uh, since about 2009, which means you know, they, they just can't keep up with all the demands. So. You know, this is the National Center for Education Statistics is the third largest federal agency and the second oldest. And what's what I find really interesting is that in 1867, when Congress set up the Department of Education, the primary goal was to collect uh, statistics on the state of education. Oh. So it's kind of one of the founding missions of the Department of Education. And now here they are. Um, where this, you know, this is this has been going on for a long time, but they're at the point now where they have to mm -hmm. cut budgets. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, cut programs. Oh. And as an example of one that is particularly relevant in, um, in the age of the COVID pandemic, one of these surveys is the Fast Response Survey System, which basically gives them an infrastructure where they can launch a survey quickly, and that's going to be very mm -hmm. important, especially as we get into the fall and the recovery phase and we need you know, information to form that policy. And so to finally to get back to that question, Rosemary, um, you know, this, this bill is funded, I'm sorry, NCES is funded through the uh, Labor, HHS, Health and Human Services, and Education Department. It's one of the biggest bills, and you've got to compete with yeah. labor, which is incredibly important right now, and Health and Human Services, and then just the broader other uh, education programs. And, you know, the NIH, you know, that, you know, they have all kinds of disease groups coming to the hills saying we need more research to help address cancer or, you know, in this case, coronavirus uh, 19. Um, so how do you get attention for a statistics agency, you know, when you're competing against all those things? So that I would I'd, I'd put that as one of the primary challenges and then to get the attention of a mm -hmm. senator who's facing all kinds of requests is you know we 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 have only dealt with staff on the on the senate side for this well you know one one problem steve it seems that that the whole idea of what a statistical agency is 
seems really, you know, elusive. It seems very distant from most people's lives, even though it's tremendously impactful on life, that to think that this that there might be some organization out there that's collecting information to help with better decision making relative to that the mission of that agency. Could could you just sort of talk a little bit about some of the things that the NCES does? I mean, you talked about the rapid response survey being part of something that they do, but but kind of just sort of part of the scope and impact of, of an organization like NCES? Yes. So so I'm going to, you know, this is, and this, I, I'm going to address this broadly first, if I Please. may. Um, so, so a lot of times we hear about government statistics, but we don't hear about the name mm -hmm. of that agency. And we, we think that that is a problem because if you don't recognize the name of the agency collecting the data, then it can easily kind of fall into neglect and not get the budget it needs or the independence it needs. So that's an example where uh, National Center for Health Statistics, their data is often referred to as CDC data because NCHS is part of CDC. Oh. And you know, commerce data could be census data or Bureau of Economic mm -hmm. Analysis. And so one of the things we try to do is just encourage media or others to name the agency so people know where it's coming from. For the, Department of Education, um, NCES, so, so what does NCES do? You frequently hear about the nation's report card. Uh, mm -hmm. That largely relies on NCES data. Or you know, how do American fourth graders compare to fourth graders around the world? That is a NCES survey. Um, data that uh, um, on, on school safety and discipline and, and, and crime. That, that is uh, done um, by an NCES survey, informed by an NCES survey. So there are homeschooling surveys. There's, you know, they also do surveys about how do, how do students fund their mm -hmm. college. Um, a lot of students rely on the school, or families, I just say, families and students rely on the an educate uh, a school locator or you know just the college uh, navigator so those are they, you know there are so many surveys that they do that can inform any aspect of education from you know pre-k and daycare all the way up to higher ed and beyond you're listening to stats and stories and today we're talking to director of science policy at the asa steve pearson is is this is this work becoming more difficult? One question that Richard often poses um, in our interviews with, with individuals who appear here is sort of what is it like to try to sort of preach the gospel of statistics at a moment when it feels like data and, and particularly statistical information is received with amount of, an amount of skepticism um, across, you know, in the public and amongst policymakers and sort of just there's this real broad skepticism. Has it impacted the way you're approaching this position and has it sort of made you rethink strategies or has it become more difficult? What is it like doing this work in this environment? Oh, I'm going to start with the positive. <laughs> I, I, I feel like this, the decade of the 2010s has been the decade of mm -hmm. statistics. There are, you know, if you look at how many students are majoring in statistics, it's I think it's like quintupled since the late two thousands, wow. and you know it's it's the data science, it's the big data statistics is being recognized, uh, you know, and that's statistics the the science of learning from data. Um, 
So I feel like there is this growing recognition of the importance of statistics and what statisticians bring to the mm -hmm. table. Um, you know, I think Nate Silver might have had something right. to do with that hurt. as well, going back to the late <laughs> 2000s. Yes, exactly. Um, so, so I think there are a lot of things going for statistics. It's still a, you know, we're still a small profession, which is a fraction, the number of um, annual graduates uh, at the BA level for, you know, compared to physics or computer science or mathematics or, or in engineering. But, but I think things are really, you know, going well. There's a lot of controversy now about, you know, data and, you know, is it, is it accurate? Is it becoming more difficult? I, I think, I guess I'm ambivalent about that, 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 you know, that's always a challenge to get some media mm -hmm. reporting, some challenging, and it does kind of take a higher bar, but, but I, you know, I guess I'm mostly pretty sanguine about, about where things are at for statistics. I, since you mentioned media, I'm going to jump in with another one of Richard's questions. I just want to give him, I want to give him credit. And, and so he doesn't accuse me of plagiarizing, but he, you know, <laughs> he also was curious sort of, what your strategies were when working with news media to try to get out, you know, in, in information, the importance of good data and statistics. How do you work with news media to sort of, um, you know, again, get the word out? You mentioned trying to get news media to use the names of statistical agencies in their reporting. Are there other things that you're doing to try to kind of improve that? So one of our campaigns for the ASA is called Count on Stats. Um, and its, its goal is to promote uh, or build public confidence and trust in, in government statistics. And so we work with a communications firm that have good connections with, with the media. You know, it is, it is the case that we'll get the most attention if there is a, you know, a controversy. Right. So, in, in you know, 2018, the Department of Agriculture proposed to basically move two research agencies out of D.C., which we knew from the beginning would gut those agencies. And there was a lot of attention around that. And, it, and you know, people recognized that this was a really big issue and, and that there were problems. And so, so that was, so that was relatively mm -hmm. easy because it was, you know, it, it also involved the politics of, of this administration that um, has been controversial at times, you know, for, for NCES, we were able to pitch a story through our science policy fellow, Daniel Elkert um, to Wa Valerie Strauss of, yeah. of the Washington post. And she was quite receptive to that, but I'll say, you know, in this um, in this moment of the pandemic or these months, it's 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 harder, um, it understandably to to sell to pitch anything, but um, but you know it is a challenge, and it, and it really kind of takes these. Here's what we're going to lose mm -hmm. uh, to to get that attention. But we've also noticed just an incredible sophistication for some journalists in using the data of federal statistical agencies. It's, it's really encouraging and heartening to see that kind of engagement. You know, one thing I would think would be a, a challenge is that uh, you have almost 20,000 members of the ASA. And, you know, certainly there's not gonna be a consensus when, when there's a particular policy or some, a, a, some a statement perhaps that, that, that ASA would, would, uh, would release. You know, have, have you, how do you balance that kind of, uh, that challenge of, of 
kind of consensus among a, a large entity mm -hmm. and then making kind of a statement for the organization. Yeah, I, 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 I want to be very careful about anything I do on behalf of the ASA because the ASA is a professional association whose our, our reputation depends upon providing you know, the best scientific uh, advice and recommendation that we can. Um, and part of that is just making sure that what we're promoting is based on our expertise and it doesn't cross a policy line unless we, we, we have that expertise. Um, but I, in making sure that we're protecting the reputation of the ASA and we're speaking for the ASA, you know, everything gets basically run through the board. And, you know, not for each issue, because a lot of times there is a board statement I can refer to or there is precedence. But the board, um, I think it was five years ago, four or five years ago, developed a list of questions for when we want to act on an issue. So I'll, I'll I mean, the questions include, does the, does the issue have impact on the statistics profession? Um, does it relate to infringement of scientific freedom or human rights? Uh, would our members expect us to be involved in the issues? So we, we have these guiding questions, John, um, and, there's, and there's, you know, there's close consultation with the ASA executive director and the, and the ASA board. So you know, that first and foremost, I wanna make sure that, that, that I'm acting um, on ASA's behalf and, and interests. You know, one thing that I'm, I'm interested in is I've, you, you've written for columns in Amstat News, you've written columns in you know, LinkedIn articles, you've written columns in The Hill. That's a real different kind of writing than, than writing for a, 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 you know, a scientific ex result. So, so can you talk a little about the transition from, from research writing to advocacy and more of a general audience writing? That sounds like a Richard question, doesn't it, Rosemary? Yeah, I think so. I think Richard would be proud. I'm, I'm, I'm channeling Richard, but, but <laughs> actually, I'm also, I'm also just interested as well, just in the, in the general public communication to a different type of audience. Yeah, I have a lot to learn in that regard. Uh, I have such, such respect for journalists and, and, you know, really good writers. And it, and it is kind of um, a shift of thinking. And I, you know, when, when I first started my position with ASA, I would, um, if there was a board meeting I'd, uh, and I was speaking, <laughs> I'd always apologize that I was not a statistician. And finally, the president from uh, about that time, Tony Lockenbrook, said, Steve, in front of all of the board, he just said, Steve, stop apologizing, you know. And, and it, um, I, I wish I knew more statistics, but at the same time, I, it, it forces me to make sure this, that, that I understand the statistics well enough that I can translate it. Um, and so I'm always kind of thinking about the issue from kind of that somewhat of an outside perspective. I mean, I'm still a scientist, but it, but it helps me to kind of um, think about how, how is it being received? Um, it's an ongoing challenge for me uh, and, and, a, and, and something that I'm, I'm still working on, but, but I really enjoy that challenge of trying to make this, put things in a perspective that will be understandable and compelling for a staffer or a journalist or I mean, I think it's really fun. I think it's a big challenge. And uh, and maybe, you know, you can provide me some insights from, from your work. <laughs> so what, what makes it compelling? What's what's a hook? Can you give an example of a hook that made, some, made a story compelling? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I would go back to the the pitch that that our ASA fellow Daniel Elker just just provided, which was, you know, if if a if a family is looking at, you know, where they want to go to college and they're looking at data two or three years old, I mean, that's, you know, you don't want data that is that old, and and it's going to be especially true going forward. You want the most up to date data, so just making it as relatable to people as possible. Um, one of the, I mean, I think one of the fun things about working for the ASA for me is you get to interact with other uh, associations. So many years ago, um, there was a proposal in Congress to make the American Community Survey voluntary. And the American Community Survey, of course, used to be the long form of the census. A lot of people have not heard of it. It goes to, I think, more than 3 million households a year, about 350,000 households a month, and it's mandatory. And as a result, the, you know, it's very high response rates, and it gives really rich data on demographics, on housing, on social condition. And businesses use that data um, to say, okay, am I going am I, am I to, where am I going to put this facility you know, how is, how are the commutes? How is the workforce there that can support my facility? There are stories from Houston that um, Houston was able to get a company to come to this, to, to the Houston area instead of Mexico because they could show they had the, the data using the ACS. Um, I was also in a meeting in a Arkansas congressman's office where um, the staffer said, oh, my boss knows the importance of this data. When he was, um, when he was mayor of the city, he was able to convince, you know, mm. a chain restaurant to come because we had the people that would use this. So, uh, you know, it, it, you get to work firsthand with the businesses. I mean, I think part of making it compelling is to work with these, you know, whether it's uh, whatever the business group is, that they can say, here's, um, here's why this is important. And I think that is, is how you can make it compelling is by, it's not just the ASA coming in, we're, we're somewhat of a facilitator. We can bring in other groups who can, you know, who use the data and might have relevance to that person's job or health or, or what have you. Mm -hmm. Well, Steve, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.